everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. Happy 4th of July, everyone. This means we're a week away from the All-Star break, and there's a lot to talk about with these Marlins in this final episode of the first half of the season. Let's just dive right in. Uh, have to start with recapping what just happened on this last road trip. Uh, before I get into the specifics, just going to start out with the record, 3-3. Three and three which is basically what the Marlins are hoping to do on every road trip. Go at least 500 on the road and have a winning record at home. That's their recipe of success. So three and three, when you look at just that number, the Marlins consider that a win. How they got the three and three, that's a whole nother story. They opened the the road trip by sweeping the Boston Red Sox, three great wins, uh, capped by a 2-0 win on Thursday to seal, to seal the sweep. First time the Marlins have ever swept the Red Sox in a three-game series ever in franchise history. And then everything sort of fell apart on the weekend. They got swept by the Atlanta Braves, which is sort of no surprise given how the state of that series has gone, not just this year, but basically going back this past decade. And the road trip as a whole, it really just epitomized the Marlins season to this point. And really, their season can be defined by two separate yet equally factual statements. Uh, Number one, they've grown. They've gotten better. They're winning the series. They should be winning. And they're competitive for the most part against teams that are around their level of talent. And number two, they're still so far behind what what they need to be doing to be competing against the Atlanta Braves, the top team in their division for the past five years and the top team in the National League and arguably the best team in baseball right now. I mean, you look at what that Braves lineup is, one through nine, Acuna at the top, Ozzy Albies, Matt Olson, uh, adding Sean Murphy at the catcher spot. I mean, they have Michael Harris, the second batting ninth. Uh, Orlando Arcia, who became an all-star this year, taking over for Dansby Swanson at shortstop. And then the rotation with Spencer Strider leading the way, Bryce Elder having an all-star year, uh, doing it without Max Freed. And they're still where they are at this point. But like I said, both of those statements, the Marlins have improved. The Marlins aren't as good as the Braves and still have a lot to get there. Both of those statements are accurate, factual. Uh, Whichever one you put more credence in, in how you define the success of this Marlins season, that's up to you. But I'm going to argue both sides of what it looks like for either end of that debate. Uh, Looking at the, the second side first. If Miami is to make the playoffs, and as of right now, about 90 games in, there's still 70-some games to go, they're in position to do that. If they make the playoffs and they want to make this deep run, potentially even, and it, again, was so unthinkable just for a lot of people going into the season, trying to make it, say, to the NLCS or even the World Series, Miami at some point most likely is going to run into Atlanta in the playoffs barring some sort of upset before that. And if that's the case, you've got to beat the Braves to, to move on. Miami has not done that this year. The Marlins are 1-9 against Atlanta. They've been outscored 83-29 in those 10 games played. They luckily only have one more series left against the Braves this regular season. That's not until September. And one of the facts, one of the stats that really just blows my mind, um, in those 10 games between the Marlins and the Braves, the Atlanta Braves have hit more home runs, 30 home runs, than the Marlins have scored runs. The Braves have 30 home runs. The Marlins have 29 runs scored. Um, we saw just this weekend, they shelled them six home runs in game one. 
Uh, game two on Saturday, they knocked out Ari Perez in the first inning. Uh, seven hits, six runs. He only got one out. And then game three was closer. Marlins took a 2-0 lead, then fell behind uh, 4-2, got a run back to make it 4-3, and then the Braves hit a home run late to go up 6-3 and, win the seri- and sweep the series. But regardless of how improved this team is, the Marlins, if they want to get to where they want to get to, will have to figure out some way to get past Atlanta. They know what it takes. They basically have to play perfect baseball in all three facets, offense, uh, offense, pitching, defense. Everything basically needs to go their way in order for them to have a chance. Now, if you look at the flip side of the argument, just being able to say that the Marlins are where they are at this point, that they're realistic contenders to make the playoffs. And not just that, I mean, they're third in the National League in in win-loss record right now, almost 90 games into the season in year one under Skip Schumacher. That's worth discussing and highlighting just in general. Again, remove those 10 games against the Braves. The Marlins are 48 and 28. They are 20 games over 500 if you exclude the Braves games. And then obviously add the Braves games in. They're still 12 games over 500. They're on pace for their second best win percentage going into the all-star break, depending on how this final week goes and their run of success. Again, third best record in the NL sixth best overall record in MLB with a week going until the all-star break. The Braves are the only team that have swept the Marlins in a series this season. Uh, The Marlins, you look at some of the bigger names, they went four and two against Arizona. The only other national league team not named the Atlanta Braves ahead of them in the standings. Uh, the three AL teams with better records, Tampa Bay, Baltimore, and Houston, or Texas, sorry, not Houston, Tampa Bay, Baltimore, and Texas. All those series that the Marlins will play against those three teams will come after the All-Star break. Miami actually goes to Baltimore for their first games back. Uh, so that's the argument on both of those sides. And that said, the Marlins did what they needed to do on Monday after getting swept by the Braves, going into their final homestand, going into these final seven games. They knew they needed to rebound quickly. Uh, Skip Schumacher said best. Good teams stop the bleeding. They don't let they don't let it fester. They don't let it continue leaking over after they don't let one bad series leading to the next. And Miami found a way to get back on the right track Monday. They won their open their series opener against St. Louis Cardinals five to four at Lone Depot Park to start this final homestand. Fell behind four to two and then rallied for three runs in the seventh. Yuli Gurriel comes in the pinch hit right as the Cardinals go to their bullpen, bringing Andre Palate. And he first pitch, middle mill fastball, slices it down the first baseline, past the first base, past Gold, Paul Goldschmidt in the right field for a game tying two run double. Nick Fortes next at bat, basically the same type of swing, same type of result, chops it down the first baseline, scores the go ahead run. 20th one-run win of the season, 23rd come-from-behind victory for these Miami Marlins. They have three more games left against St. Louis at the time of this recording, and then a weekend set against the Philadelphia Phillies to cap their schedule before the All-Star break. And after that, just some other quick hits from since we last talked and where things go from here. Um one of the highlights of last week's episode was Jazz Chisholm Jr.'s return. Missed six weeks with a turf toe in his right big toe, was coming back. The Marlins were hoping he'd be an instant spark to their lineup. And to his credit, he was. He he gets hits in all six games. He comes back in his first game against Boston, three for th- or three hits, two RBI, three run scores, stolen base. 
home runs in each of the other games and a hit in all three games against Atlanta. That's sort of where the fun ends. Uh, Jazz Chisholm Jr. was taken out of the series finale against Atlanta in the sixth inning after a strike, after feeling his oblique cramp up following in the follow through of his swing in the sixth inning that resulted in a strikeout. Uh, the Marlins placed him on the injured list Monday. They called it a left oblique strain. He was going to get an MRI Monday before the game. We didn't ha- don't have the results yet as of the time of this recording. Should hopefully know that information soon. Chisholm does not believe it's an oblique, or if it is an oblique, at the very least, it's not a tear. So that's at minimum optimistic, but he's out through at least the all-star break. We'll see the severity of the injury and hopefully have more updates on that in in due time. But with that, that means Jonathan Davis is going back to being the team's primary center fielder for the time being. Uh, Miami called up utility player Dane Myers, who they acquired in December in the Rule 5 draft, the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft, and he's just lit it up in double-A AA and triple-A. 20 games in triple-A Jacksonville. I think he's hitting about 440 with an OPS hovering around the 1,000. Uh, he's been spectacular in the minor leagues. Don't know exactly how much playing time he's going to get. I'm likening his role to similar to what Jacob Amaya's role was when Gene Segura went down, basically serving as that backup bench player. He's going to most likely get at least a start. The Marlins have been good that way. Skip Schumacher's been good that way, making sure that if a guy's up here and hasn't made his MLB debut yet, he's going to do what he can to at least get him that experience, get him that chance to get, get a bunch of the first out of the way. But Jonathan Davis will be the primary center fielder. Dane Myers has played all three outfield spots, first base and third base, between his time in double-A ja- Pensacola and triple-A Jacksonville. And we'll see where things go from there. And between now and when and this final week of games played, we got a lot going on. Uh, obviously, the final homestand. After that, we have the All-Star break. Uh, Marlins have two All-Stars, the two guys who you would expect to be their All-Stars. Luis Arias on Thursday was voted in by the fans to be the National League starting second baseman, which, I mean, the dude's only hitting 388 at this point. Still in that chase for 400, which hasn't been done since 1941, Ted Williams. Uh, speaking of Luis Arias, look forward to uh, – so a couple of stories I'll be ha- putting out this weekend. Going to have some big Luis Arias talk, Luis Arias stories uh, to just break down his run and what he's been doing and use that as a primer for the All-Star break. And second All-Star announced on Sunday, Jorge Soler. The players voted him in as the reserve for the National League for designated hitter. And all the kudos to Jorge Soler. Obviously, his first year with the Marlins last year did not go any way like he anticipated. Hit 207, hit 13 home runs in 70-some games. Was on pace for 30 home runs, but injuries just ended up getting the best of him over the second half of the season. First, it was pelvis inflammation, and then it was back spasms that just shut him down after 70 games. This year, he's all, he's leading the team with 22 home runs. He's in the top five in the National League in home runs. He's been the Marlins' main RBI producer. He's been the guy and more that the Marlins were hoping they would get from him this year. And then you also have, even before the All-Star game, which is on July 11th, a week from Tuesday, uh, you have the Futures game before that on Saturday. Marlins have two of their prospects playing in the All-Star Futures game. You've got shortstop Nassim Nunez and left-handed pitcher Patrick Monteverde. 
who both of which are in both of whom are in double A Pensacola. Nassim Nunez, he's been around since 2019. Uh, high end defense at shortstop, base stealing, speed, and finally showing some pop with the the bat. He's not going to be a home run hitter, but he has four home runs this year, which is double what he had each of his first three years in the minors. Uh, Monteverde uh, was a day two pick in the uh, 20, I believe it was the 2021 draft. And he's just been absolutely dominant. Eight and one record, sub two ERA, uh, basically leading the Southern League, which the Pensacola Blue Wahoos play in, in a lot of the main categories that you look at for a pitcher. So the two of them get some well-deserved honors getting to go out to Seattle in addition to Luis Arise and Jorge Soler. And then you also have, starting on Sunday, you've got the MLB draft. The Marlins are picking 10th overall. They have three picks in the first day, which encompasses round, round one, round two, and the collective er, and the competitive balance picks. Day two of the draft on Monday is rounds three through 10, and day three is rounds 11 through 20. And then once we're done with that, get a couple days of relaxation and then picking things right back up in Baltimore. So with that, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Fish Bites. Thanks so much for tuning in. When we come back next week, it'll be a full look back at the pre-All-Star break schedule and getting ready to see where the Marlins go for this final push. So thanks so much. We'll be back next week.